There was never a doubt in my mind Friday night that Oklahoma was going to lose that game to West Virginia. Never a doubt. You may think I'm crazy. You may think I'm lying. But it's true. From kickoff to the final whistle, there was never a moment when I thought that that Sooners team would lose the game. Okay, sure, there were times when I was close to becoming fearful, like when it was 42-38 to 38 West Virginia in the third quarter and the Sooners were staring at a third and 10 from their own 25. Sure, sure, I was close to becoming doubtful. But then Kyler Murray dropped one into the bucket to Marquise Brown for 30 yards. Then Hollywood went 45 yards to the house on the very next play. Just like that, OU took the lead back at 45-42. And yes, there was another moment in the fourth quarter when I was close to worrying about OU's chances at a victory. Sooners trailing 49-45 with the ball, fourth and goal from the two-yard line. That dominant OU offensive line struggling a bit to get a push as the Sooners had ran the ball three straight times from inside the five and hadn't scored. But then Kyler Murray casually stood in the pocket, surveyed the situation, and found a wide-open Grant Calcaterra in the end zone. Touchdown Sooners. It's 52-49 now. You know, there was one more instance where I was pretty close to becoming concerned. Two and a half to play in the game. OU up by just a field goal, facing a fourth and five from the West Virginia 40. After a great play by the Mountaineers defense to stop Kennedy Brooks from getting outside and picking up the first down on third down, Lincoln Riley decided to put the football in Kyler Murray's hands and effectively told him to go win the game. And Kyler did. Murray kept calm when West Virginia dropped eight, trusted that great offensive line wouldn't let one of those three Mountaineers get through, and finally Murray threw a bullet to C.D. Lamb for the conversion. Nice grab by C.D. First down. Then a couple plays later, Kyler picked up another first down to seal it. I told you all going in, I'm betting on Lincoln Riley. I'm betting on Kyler Murray. I'm betting on that offensive line. Marquise Brown, everybody on that side of the football, basically to play perfect and outscore West Virginia. Now, it wasn't perfect. Kyler had a couple of costly turnovers. But aside from those miscues, it was yet another masterpiece by the Oklahoma offense. And now the Sooners are playing for yet another Big 12 championship. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Second and 11 for the 24-yard line. Greer under duress. The ball's out as Caleb Kelly took him down. He scoops it up and scores. Caleb Kelly's incredible individual play welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. His sack, forced fumble, and then fumble return touchdown gave the Sooners a 35-21 lead in the second quarter Friday night in Morgantown. It was the first of two defensive touchdowns scored by the Oklahoma defense on the night. The Sooners beat West Virginia in a crazy game, 59-56. Now OU will play Texas for the Big 12 title. Hey everyone, once again, I'm Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join us here in a moment to talk all about that insane Oklahoma win. The offense was tremendous and the defense pitched in. We've got a lot of post-game sound bites to play from Lincoln Riley, Ruffin McNeil, and Kyler Murray. Later in the show, we'll do our three-word reviews and also we'll talk a little bit about the rest of college football and what this week means moving forward. So let's jump right in. Grant, it's Sunday morning. We've had a day to reflect back on another Oklahoma victory. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Always a good daily when 
you're coming off a weekend and when OU, uh, OU wins, it was actually really nice. They got to play on Friday night and you've got to sit back on Saturday and just kind of watch the rest of the college football landscape take shape while, while OU is already in the clubhouse. And Lee, I would also be remiss not to mention here on this Sunday morning that we're recording it. I'm in an especially good mood this morning because my Golden Gophers has, have finally beaten the Wisconsin Badgers after 14 consecutive losses to the Badgers. They won this year. And I'm just pumped. Just rowing that boat, baby, all day long. For those of you who are relatively new to the podcast, you may not know that Grant is actually in Minnesota. That's where he and I are from. I'm in Oklahoma. Grant's in Minnesota. So we do this podcast remotely. And Grant, he did go to Oklahoma for a year, but also he graduated from Minnesota. So he follows the Gophers. And what was the score? Was it a blowout? 37 to 15. Wisconsin had to score a garbage touchdown with 20 seconds left to make uh, to make it look not as bad as it really was. It was a beatdown. The, the Gophers destroyed Wisconsin yesterday. It was it was a great day. And of course, I am partly mentioning this just to uh, just to deflect from the fact that, yes, I did pick against Oklahoma on the podcast earlier this week. You guys are all welcome for the reverse jinx. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations there. Thank you. We appreciate that. And I was <laughs> I was worried too about how I'd be off for the first time on a college football, well, I guess Friday night this week and a college football Saturday, off of work for the first time in something like 5 years. And it was very enjoyable Friday night to not have to be at work and watch the game and not have to worry about going and and anchoring a show in the middle of it and missing some some plays and then on Saturday, boy, it was great from 11 a.m. to pretty much 9 or 10 o'clock at night. I watched college football. felt like the biggest slob. And you know what? I've decided that's probably a good thing that I work on the weekends because I would be very unhealthy if I did that every single Saturday, did not move from the couch for probably close to 12 hours. There's a but lot it was of, good to do that. There's a lot of truth the to first that, time Lee, because, because that's kind of what I do every single weekend, and it's gotten to the point where I'm so used to it and I love it so much that I get like upset when I have to do anything other than sit on the couch and be a slob and watch football. You know what I mean? And I'm sure there's people yeah. out there who, who, who kind of feel the same way I do, but I don't know. The fall is, is football time, man. I get like, yeah, I get, it's, like, it's a quick season. So 14 Saturdays you a take year. Advantage of it. That, that's pretty much it. All right, let's jump into this game. Normally we begin with the defense, but you know what? Let's talk about the offense because the offense is the reason why Oklahoma won that game. And Grant, the offense was phenomenal. Another elite offensive performance against West Virginia. You know, I should have wrote this down before we started the podcast. I can't remember exactly what it was. I can look it up as we go to get an exact number. But Oklahoma average, Grant, I believe, damn near 12 yards per play. And at halftime, Oklahoma was averaging, I think, 14 and a half yards per play. And last week, as we previewed this game, we were talking about how Oklahoma's offense was dominating against West Virginia a season ago. And I believe I'd said that it's possible Oklahoma could do that again to this West Virginia defense. And Grant, they basically did. That was a game where Oklahoma's offense came in incredibly prepared. West Virginia's defense, sure, it's better this year, but it's still it's not like it's an elite defense. And Oklahoma absolutely did whatever it wanted to. And aside from the two turnovers, did I think did did Cybert maybe punt one time? I think he might have punted one time, maybe not. So he punted, I he punted once in the uh, in the fourth quarter, and it was 
It was uh, it was not a good call by Riley. They should have gone for it. It was uh, OU was in West Virginia territory. I think they were at like the forty five or something like that, and it was fourth and five or fourth and six, and they ended up punting. And it was a it was a touchback. Um, it was about with about nine minutes or so left to go in the game. OU should have gone for it there, but um, you know I didn't mind them going for I didn't mind them punting that at that point because I'm pretty sure Oklahoma actually had a two score lead. So yeah, at the they, time they did, but I I have a problem with that. You can you can go down there and score and, and effectively end the game, and when your offense is on the field, you you do that one hundred percent of the time. So I mean that's I don't believe they were in plus territory. I think they were yes, still they in were. I am I am territory. I am positive they are in plus territory. I just watched the game about an hour ago. Well, wasn't it pretty long though? Fourth and something like seven? No, it was fourth and five, fourth and six. It was the hmm. same. It, it, it was the same down and distance as the fourth down they picked up. Uh, later in the game to, to ice the game. Okay, almost, well, I didn't have a problem with that and, and almost they had the two-possession lead. And, and almost the same, the, the exact same spot on the field as well. So, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have a problem with, with not going for it on fourth down when you're in plus territory in general, especially when you arguably have the best offense in the history of college football. Well, and again, it was a, a two-score lead, and you didn't like the call. But later in the game, on fourth down and five, Oklahoma did go for it, Grant, and that effectively won the Sooners the game. And we have some sound to play from Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray on that fourth down and five play. Let's start with Lincoln Riley's thoughts as he was asked about the decision and everything like that after the game. Uh, just felt like it was the right thing to do. There was enough time, um, and with us having three timeouts, you know, just the way the game's going, I mean, you, you – I just didn't want to give them the ball back, um, and I certainly and I and I felt like we had a great chance to get it, and uh, and then also thinking, well, if we for some reason we don't get it, we've got some timeouts to use, and even if they obviously if we hold them, we're good. If they if they're able to score, we can either use some timeouts throughout the drive to get us time with the ball back, and 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 you know I wanted us to be the last ones with the ball either way, and that was the only way to guarantee it. So Lincoln Riley did exactly what probably every single Sooners fan at home watching the game and there in Morgantown was thinking, you got to go for it here, put your best unit on the field and go win the game. And that's exactly what Riley was thinking too, which is pretty much what he said there. And it worked out. And he put the ball in, in Kyler Murray's hands and Kyler Murray delivered yet again. The guy is just having a phenomenal season. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to give him too much credit for that call. That was the no-brainer call. And I thought going for it earlier in that quarter was the no-brainer call as well that he made the mistake on. Um, I but. just don't think it was a no-brainer call, especially, too, when you consider that Oklahoma, they basically had West Virginia stopped. And West Virginia obviously went for it on fourth down. And, and Robert Barnes committed a pass interference penalty that continued the drive. And it was a really bad throw by Greer. And Barnes kind of looked lost. And... And to me, I it just I didn't understand what was happening, and and I was tweeting a lot during the game. And one of our listeners, that's uh, that's a coach that has background, was tweeting at me as well. And it was really fun. And he said, "Oh, maybe Barnes. It looked like maybe he was not prepared for West Virginia to go for it on fourth down, and maybe that's why he wanted to. He, he wasn't ready for it, and instead of giving up a big play, he just committed the pass interference." To, prevent a big play you know maybe that's what happened on that play but anyways that the defense should have gotten off the field it didn't I think your play you're, later you're confusing the DTY drive that was, a, the pass. that was a different drive completely no, different no it wasn't drive. this no, was it wasn't yeah Lee this that all happened after the the second 
fumble return for a touchdown. When I when when Riley it, the score was fifty two to forty two when when Riley should have been going uh, for it. They they hadn't scored that last touchdown yet when Riley should have gone for it on fourth down. So you're they, saying it was a uh, it was just a one score lead? It was the um the yeah yeah West Virginia scored no. pretty yeah West Virginia scored pretty easily the next time they had like when OU punted in that situation. Grant, Oklahoma punted one time. It was fourth and ten. Actually, Oklahoma, I think, yeah, it was fourth down and ten, and Oklahoma was up by ten points. Oh, you're right. When Oklahoma when, punted, when OU punted, that was the drive when OU had the had the strip sack and returned uh, a fumble return for a touchdown. After OU punted, that's what happened. No, after OU punted, they got West Virginia to fourth down and eight, and Robert Barnes committed that pass interference penalty. It looked like the game was going to be over if they would have just stopped them there. Yeah, you might but be right. Drive, My gosh, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the play by play right now. God, so much crap happened in that game. I was I, I was going through and rewatching it this morning, trying to make mental notes in my head, but there was just so many swings of emotion or of of momentum and emotion in that game. That was actually insane. another reason why I think Lincoln Riley was comfortable punting up by ten points in that scenario. Grant is that the previous drive after Curtis Bolton had his scoop and score to give Oklahoma a ten point lead, the Oklahoma defense came out and got a three and out. And forced a forced a punt. So the last time Lincoln Riley had seen his defense on the field, the last two times he saw them strip Greer and score a touchdown, and then the next possession he saw them get a three and out. So he thought, you know You're what, the defense right. is playing pretty well right now. And it was on it was third and four. Kyler missed Calcaterra in the flat. He underthrew him on that yep. third and four, and that's, that was and his, then, it was probably his worst throw of the night. Even and that's including the interception. And then they decided to punt, and then Cybert took the delay of game penalty to give him more room. Um, and the only bad yeah. the only bad part was that it was a touchback. He couldn't pin him inside the twenty. But um, so that's why I didn't have a problem with them punting too, because the game I think it was getting kind of late in the game too. I mean, there was like maybe five minutes left, or uh, no, no, there was there was more time than that. The Oklahoma drive started at nine oh four. Anyways, I mean that was we're we're kind of getting into the weeds there. So we heard Lincoln Riley talk about that fourth down play. Let's hear Kyler Murray talk about that. Yeah, the third down or four, was it fourth down? Yeah, fourth down. Yeah, we we, yeah. we knew it was either going to be drop eight, or they were going to bring 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 the house. Uh, you know the look. You know they they ended up dropping eight. So I mean I, I kind of knew. You know if my first read wasn't there, we're going to have to make a play. You know Coach Riley had to trust in me, trust in the guys to you know go for it and you know win the game. And we knew you know the situation was you get the game, you get the first down and the game's over. So for me, uh, first read not being there at that point, it's just coming down to making a play. And luckily, you know we we. We ended up making a play. CD made a great catch. I kind of like at the start, you know, Kyler Murray is so calm and cool. He was like, what, third down? Oh, wait, no, hold on, no, no, no. It was fourth down. Yeah, it was the fourth down play. It's like, yeah, it's just a play. We got to get a first down. And uh, he he knew that it would, like you said, he knew that it would either be drop eight or West Virginia would bring the house. And when he realized they dropped eight, he, he stood there. He was calm. He was patient. And he was directing traffic. And it seemed like he was pointing to his right a couple of times and then was the whole time was planning on going back to CD there, trying to get a little more separation. And to CD Lamb's credit, too, he had, I think, at least one drop in that game early. And, and Marquise Brown was the, the superstar that it seemed like Kyle to the all game. But CD made one of the biggest catch, if not the biggest catch of the game, by hauling in that ball and making sure that he he got it and it was complete and, and made sure that he was across the sticks to get the first down. 
Yeah, I was really impressed with the offense's ability to keep their composure, especially in the biggest moments of the game, it seemed like, especially down the stretch. When when they had to make a play to win the game, the offense did time and time again. And you can kind of go just over the course of the game, how many big-time third and long conversions there were, I, I feel like, for Oklahoma in this game. There, there may have really only been like a handful of them, but I feel like they were all just really big. Um there, there, there's just a couple of just amazing throws that I thought Kyler made on third down in this game. Um, I, I think the one a lot of people are probably going to immediately think of is the is the third down completion over the shoulder to Marquise Brown after they had gone down forty two to thirty eight. Beautiful, I mean beautiful. just beautiful. Yeah, another one. Hey, I'll. Th- this is early in the game. This is their first drive of the game. I think they they only picked up three yards on their first two plays of the game. And then Kyler hit hit Marquise Brown on a small window on a third and seven on that first drive as well. Uh, just a lot of stuff like that. Um, I thought you know, Kyler Murray, I didn't think, played his best game uh, of the season by, by any stretch of the imagination. But, man, when they needed him, he he delivered. And and really, without those two turnovers, this is a game that Oklahoma probably would have won by, by three touchdowns or so. Because um, I, I, I do feel like they, they probably would have been able to separate there. And, and West Virginia probably would have started to press a little bit, um, as it kind of seemed like they were late in the game. But uh, if if there's I guess if there's one negative on the offense, if you want to if you want to try to you know pick hairs a little bit, it is once again they they seem to not be able to separate when the defense gives them opportunities to do so, um, which obviously you would like to see, um, especially yeah because, that's yeah because Oklahoma had two different times in the game that they could have they could have separated. It seemed like I mean the after the Caleb Kelly. Touchdown they got by two scores. Granted, the defense had to come back out there and West Virginia went on there to score again, but just getting the ball out of the out of halftime and going down and getting in the red zone and then Kyler throwing that pick in the end zone, that was that was bad. That hurt because West Virginia took the ball and immediately went down and scored. And just like that, the game was tied and it was just back to zeros, it's it felt like. Yeah, and that's why I mean that's as you saw in this game, that's why turnovers are such a big deal. And uh, obviously, West Virginia's turnovers were much more consequential than Oklahoma's. And that actually ended up being the difference in the game. Although it did seem like over the course of the game that Oklahoma was clearly the better team. I don't know if you felt that way as well. But I, 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 I thought that um, even watching that game, I thought Oklahoma's defense per, uh, performed much better than West Virginia's defense did. Well, did, did. Do you agree with that? Sure. I mean, two defensive touchdowns. That's amazing. Oklahoma's defense came up with with some big plays. Granted, Oklahoma's defense is is dealing with a very good offense. Oklahoma's defense is not dealing with Oklahoma's offense, which not a whole lot of defenses. Maybe there's not even a handful of defenses in college football that could seriously handle Oklahoma's offense. So in Oklahoma's Defense didn't have as difficult of a task, although it was a difficult task, obviously, because Will Greer is really good, and so is the West Virginia offense. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Oklahoma defense, we know what we're going to get from it. And uh, we'll talk about the defense in a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I, talking I, about the the offense. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess I just don't have a ton to say about the offense because uh, they were good. And honestly, I don't think they were any better than they've been the last month of the season. I thought it was a I, I thought it was a pretty similar performance that we've seen out of them the last four or five games. To be honest with you, so that's why I just I just don't have a lot to. I mean, outside of Marquise Brown uh, being just outstanding on Friday night, I, I just. You know, I, I thought it was just business as usual for the offense. Speaking of Marquise Brown, it seems like he he's good to go. 
Uh, that was the best he's looked in a long time. 11 catches, 243 yards, two touchdowns. After the game, Lincoln Riley asked about Marquise Brown, and Riley felt like probably all of us did when it came to Brown's performance. Listen in. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, uh, just so good. I mean, the over the shoulder was just special, you know, and then and then the the uh, the crosser, you know, where we're more proud of him than anything. He's always been able to win with speed, but to see him come out of a tackle, you know, very very similar to the one in the Oklahoma State game, you know, on our sideline there where he came out of the tackle, and it's fun to see him and some physicality to his game, being able to run through some of that. You combine that with the speed. Uh, what it was is an older guy that just – wanted to win this game more than anything I think you saw it on the field see I'm not like you I actually have a lot to say about the offense because it did feel different to me it felt like the offense again aside from those two turnovers played pretty much perfectly and like I said in the opening take it was a masterpiece and that's significant because it's a game where Oklahoma's playing a top 15 team on the road knowing that the offense has got to be pretty much perfect because the way the defense for Oklahoma plays and knowing the West Virginia offense is so good that Oklahoma's offense came out and you know there's been some some lulls here and there the past couple of weeks it seems like against teams that aren't as good as West Virginia but when Oklahoma needed to have a a fantastic tremendous offensive performance and granted Oklahoma normally does play fantastic it would seem uh, they really did it and they did it in in a hostile environment against a good West Virginia team against a West Virginia defense that again, is not a world-beating defense, but can bring some pressure, can make you uncomfortable, and it didn't didn't feel like Oklahoma was too uncomfortable aside from maybe a couple of snaps here and there. So that's why I think it's uh, that's why it's fun to talk about the offense, and that's why I wanted to start with the offense today because the offense is what's going to keep Oklahoma alive moving forward, which that's not breaking any news. Everybody knows that. And at this point in the season, I think it's just like, well, you know what? We haven't talked about the offense a whole lot, Let's give the offense its due. I know there's not a whole lot left to say about it because everyone knows it's so good, but I know when you got we got to acknowledge that this just isn't normal. We're all spoiled here about how good this offense is. I mean, it's the best offense in college football by a long shot, and that's including Alabama's offense this year, which is also incredibly good. Just there's nothing even close to it, and uh, it's just really fun to watch over and over and over again. So again, kudos to the offense. I know that you don't have a whole lot to say about it, but um, throw a couple other names out there. I mean, how about how about Kennedy Brooks? Kennedy Brooks, just another ho-hum, 160-plus-yard game, a huge touchdown run. The guy is filling in nicely for Trey Sermon, who played but didn't play a whole lot, and hopefully Trey Sermon will, will be able to get a little more healthy before that Texas game. But uh, how about Kennedy Brooks's performance? Yeah, I thought he was really good. This is, I mean, and I, I thought he looked like he has the last month of the season. I thought he looked he looked good. You know, I mean, West Virginia is... I. I didn't think really posed that much of a of a challenge to the offense, to be honest with you. So that's why I just don't – the offense did what they were supposed to do, Lee. And I, I think if, if, if I'm going to go to the people who I was most impressed with, it's, it's one Marquise Brown who I thought maybe had his most complete game maybe he's ever had as a Sooner. I think he caught all 11 of his targets, Lee. Um, and, and some, I mean, some plays where he just, he worked to get open coming back to Kyler and there's somewhere he were just, he just kind of sat down in soft spots. Maybe his, his injury has maybe taught him how to be more of a complete receiver, uh, just not counting on burning past people like that. And, and also, Lee, do, do you agree that I don't, I don't even think he looks 100% healthy when I watch him either. 
I, he he looks more like ninety percent to me. Um, but I didn't think that really, but sure. Uh, I mean, he's, but he's still, he looks really good. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, I guess he he's looked better. I I, I guess I don't. He looks pretty close to 100% to me. I said he lo- yeah, he looks closer, but I don't think he looks like the full, you know, uh I he doesn't look at full speed. I I guess if hmm. is what I'm saying. Um Okay. But yeah, it's obviously a really positive development to get that Marquise Brown back because if you're talking about hypothetical, you know, matchups against against defenses with a lot of NFL guys, you need your NFL guy like Marquise Brown to have a good game in in, in games like that. So you, you you need the wild card of your NFL guys being able to just go off and, and being able to beat them no matter what. And Marquise Brown is that type of guy. And so if the, the more that we see uh, of that, you know, obviously it's encouraging. Um, but of course, I mean, the offensive line was just completely dominant. And and I think <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think everyone's going to talk about um, how good they were in the run game. I mean, OU averaged nearly I think ten yards per carry again. I think they were close to like nine or so, weren't they? Um, but I, I want to talk about how good they were in pass protection. Kyler Murray didn't they didn't even come close to Kyler at all on Friday night. I, I, I thought that was probably their best game they've had from a pass protection perspective all season. Yeah, man, it's just an incredible unit. Bill Biedenboe has those guys playing at such a high level. It's inc- it's so impressive. And last season, we all think that unit should have won the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the most outstanding offensive line in the country. I believe Notre Dame won it a season ago, something like that. This year, I I don't know how the heck Oklahoma's offensive line can't win the Joe Moore Award. I mean, it's it's just been so, so dominant. And I think that's – I know Kansas, they didn't go over 300 yards. They were at 294 yards rushing against Kansas, over 300 yards again against West Virginia. I mean, effectively, I think that's what, maybe five or six games in a row where they've rushed for more than 300 yards or, I mean, close to it if you throw in Kansas there. And then obviously the pass protection is always just crisp and smart, smart, uh, really good. And the reason I said smart, I guess, is my brain is firing. Kyler Murray, it seems like whenever there is a little bit of pressure or they do bring some people, he has a he has a nice hot read. I mean, he knows to get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. For instance, on that great throw to Marquise Brown on third and 10, I mean, West Virginia brought the house and he – he got rid of the football, which the offensive line's great at protecting, but also the quarterback's got to get rid of the football, too, to help out the offensive line sometimes. And, and both both uh, Kyler Murray and the offensive line clearly are just on the same page, and, and it's just really fun to watch. It really is. So that's – I don't have any more sound on the offense to play. I don't want to shortchange the offense, but I think we've about covered it. I, uh, Grant Calcaterra, big touchdown catch, Grant, on, on a – as, you know, a pressure-filled fourth down play. Uh, Kyler Murray delivered the ball right into his arms. I mean, that was a huge play in the game. Um, yeah, and then just, I mean, picking up the the first down late in the game when the offense was tasked with winning the football game, the offense did. Sure. Also, another, another thing, Lee, it does look like that, um, at least I noticed this during the game, it seemed like time and time again, OU went back sort of to the same guys on offense. So it leads me to believe there's maybe some sort of consensus forming on offense of who our you know our go-to guys are and of course now I say I mean this is this is 12 games into the year uh, but you saw that a lot last year near near the end of the season too where a lot of the times in the passing game they were just going to Brown, Lamb, and Andrews whereas this year Lee it seems like it's just Hollywood, Lamb, 
uh, Calcaterra has seems has been out there a lot more. I feel like in the in the last few weeks, and then it looks like it, it Carson Meyer is is emerging as the fourth option. I mean, he is he is filling into that Dimitri Flowers role really nicely. I mean, because he's he he's, sure is. Yeah, he's he's turning into Kyler Murray's security blanket. Yeah, and good for him. I mean, he's not the same kind of player as Dimitri Flowers, but he's been able to carve out a very meaningful role this season. And that's been huge. I mean, he might be one of the most, he might be the, the biggest, the biggest, big, I was going to say biggest underrated. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. He might be the most underrated guy in the offense this season. We talked about how important Dimitri Flowers was. He was the Swiss Army knife of Oklahoma's offense the past few years. Well, Carson Meyer is not quite a Swiss Army knife. You're not going to see him. Actually, you know, yeah, he, did, he does line up at tight end a couple times in his H-back like Dimitri Flowers did. So, I mean, he is being utilized similar to how Flowers was, and, yeah, and uh, he's played really well. And also, too, if you've if you've noticed, uh, they've they've entered uh, Jeremiah Hall quite a bit more into the yeah. offense the last few, which which is telling me he's getting more comfortable in practice, and and he's showing that that he's capable of making plays. He made the one really nice play in Lubbock, if you guys remember that on third down in the in the first quarter of that game. Um, and that was also another great throw by Kyler Murray. Yeah, and, and you know Lincoln Riley is going to have some interesting wrinkles uh, from those packages as well. So, you know, that can only help. You know, if they big bodies who can block and do multiple things are really valuable, especially in short yardage situations. Um, and guys who can block, who can who can run a little bit after the catch, and, you know, most importantly, who can catch as well. So this offense, I think, is just is just so good. They're they're so tailored, I think, to all of their individual skill sets. And um, Kyler Murray, who who I think has been the best player in college football this year, is is the field general at the you know in control of all of it. And they're they're just they're fun to watch. I I think they're I they're they're gonna have a success against anybody in the country with, with this offense. They're they're so precise. Um, and they're so physical up front, and they just have so much speed and talent on the edge. Lee, I mean, you saw just—it's so hard for me not to think. I mean, you—you you, you saw in the first half on uh, last night in that Notre Dame USC game, Notre Dame was really struggling with USC's speed on the edge in that game. Man, oh, you would just go up and down the field on Notre Dame. I, it would just. Yeah, I, and I, I'm, I'm probably, getting, I'm getting, probably, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting way into the weeds on that. But they go um, up and down the field on a lot of teams, on, uh, on a lot of teams. And I think I, I mean, and I, and I say that because I, because Notre Dame is is in the playoff. I mean, they're twelve and zero, uh, and I, I think they probably have one of the five best defenses in the country. And I think OU would would honestly have their way with them and would do whatever they want to them. Well, I actually want to talk about later just. And maybe we'll actually we'll get into it when we talk about the defense here in a moment. But the last thing on the offense that I want to mention, and this is also from when I was tweeting on Friday night during the game with uh, one of our listeners that, that is a football coach. I mean, he knows way more about this stuff than I do, than you do, and, and he's been great. He's been able to fill in some of the blanks and some of the gaps. He brought up not specifically Kyler Murray, but just kind of his type of – that kind of type of player in general – he sent me a message saying, you know, this is why college coaches like to go after high school players that competed for championships, state championships, because they've been there before. They know what it's like to win. They know how to win. And I think about that when I think of that fourth and five play that Kyler Murray and C.D. Lamb converted because Kyler Murray, all he did in high school was win. And he never lost. And he won a lot of state titles at the highest level of Texas high school football. He's never been to a 
the college football playoff uh, as a starter. Obviously, he was there last year. So he's never had to you know, try to win a playoff game in college football, but he's won a lot of really important high school games. He's now going to play for a Big 12 title game. He knows what it's like to be there and to try to go and win really big, important games. And I think that cannot be understated on Friday night. That's a very big, important game. And Kyler Murray, aside from the two, the, the, the two turnovers, was fantastic. And it was just normal to him. I mean, that's just what he knows he's supposed to do, and that's what he expects from himself. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's great that Oklahoma has a quarterback like that, <laughs> and it's, it's incredible getting a guy like that right after they had a guy like Baker Mayfield. He's never lost under the Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah. Still hasn't. <laughs> and speaking of Kyler Murray, let's talk about the defense. And Kyler was asked about his defense, and he had a lot of nice things to say about the Oklahoma defense. So here's Kyler Murray after the game praising his teammates. Came up huge. I mean, they picked me up. They picked the offense up. You know, we, we didn't get the job done. And that's how, that's how it's got to be. I mean, you know, we know as a team uh, we're at our best when we're all clicking. Uh, obviously, you know, people can say, you know, you give up 50. That's a good team. Uh, great offense. You know, not many people are going to stop them. So uh, we did it enough tonight. And they got, you know, two two defensive touchdowns, which is huge. And, uh, like I said, they picked us up, when, you know, when we didn't when we didn't pull through. So it was it was great team effort tonight. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't scoff at two defensive touchdowns, Grant. And it's a defense that's struggled to get turnovers this year but I mean the the Caleb Kelly sack fumble scoop and score I I was as surprised at that play as I was in the Rose Bowl whenever Caleb Kelly forced a fumble and Stephen Parker picked it up and, and went back and scored granted the stakes weren't as high as the Rose Bowl Friday night I mean still pretty high stakes I mean that was an incredibly fun play to watch and it was all Caleb Kelly I mean he blew up the right tackle coming off the edge sacked Will Greer and, and Greer lost the ball and Kelly just did it all and that was a great play and and what do we see most of the game we saw Oklahoma playing in that 4-3 kind of like I figured Oklahoma would and 11 personnel from West Virginia and Caleb Kelly I mean he had one of the biggest plays of the game he tackled well and he also was he was uh you know liability in coverage which Ruffin McNeil acknowledged after the game we have some Ruffin McNeil sound to play here momentarily but uh uh, I know I'm kind of going with Caleb Kelly here, but Grant, the, the two defensive touchdowns, how about that? Your thoughts, uh, Kelly, obviously, and then Curtis Bolton picked up and went and scored. Bolton now has three touchdowns this year, <laughs> two on special teams, one on defense. So uh, the two defensive touchdowns obviously were huge. Yeah, obviously, and of course it's 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 nice, one, to see the the defense turning the other offense over, first of all, and actually forcing fun. I mean, those are, those are plays that they forced. Those are plays that they made. That wasn't just fumble luck. Um, they, they made those plays, so that, that, that was good to see. And uh, you know, also, Lee, did you, have you rewatched the game at all? You know, I haven't. Okay. I've only rewatched a couple of plays, so but here, not the full thing through. This is so weird, uh, re-watching the game, Lee. And um, the defense uh, had had just a lot of really, really, really nice individual performances. Um, for the most part, Lee, the defense, I thought, you know, was really good outside of about 10 plays. And that's kind of what what was their downfall in the game, was those 10 plays. And so I, I'm really interested to see when you go back and re-watch it. But on a play-by-play basis, Lee, the defense definitely played their best game of you know of November up to this point on on Friday night for sure. I just 
there were a couple plays, Lee, just uh, with the safeties and the linebackers and coverage that West Virginia was able to exploit for massive plays, especially on third down time and time again. Um, but Lee, really the story of this game, West Virginia just kept going back to the same thing over and over again, and that was just exploiting Oklahoma's linebackers and safeties and coverage. That was it. Lee, the corners on Friday night were really good. Played their best game of the season, bar none, in my opinion. Well, you know who else agrees with you on that one, Grant? One Lincoln Riley. And we have some sound on Lincoln Riley talking about the corners. Here it is. Yeah, I thought it was our corners' best game of the year, honestly. I, I thought we contested a lot of balls. Um, I thought we tackled well. Um, I thought it was the best game our corners have played all year. I really did. I mean, there was, I don't know how many one-on-one balls they threw, but I mean, it was a bunch. And and we won our fair share. And, uh, you know, if we do that, we give our guys a chance. we got to do better in the middle, you know, in the middle of the field, no question. Uh, but I thought our the way we contested one-on-one was a huge key to the game. Yeah, I thought the corners played really well, too. Trey Brown, Trey Norwood, Parnell Motley. Really well, and I, uh, I I like to check on give a give credit to the Sooner Scoop guys. It's really cool what they're doing this year. If you're a, a premium member or an insider, whatever they call it over there, they give you access to the Pro Football Focus numbers. And Trey Brown was the highest graded Oklahoma defensive player. And when I saw that, I thought, huh? I mean, that's you know good on Trey Brown. I don't really remember much of him, with the exception of one really nice play where he came up and made a tackle. I think a TFL. But I suppose that's kind of the point is if you don't notice Trey Brown, it means that they're not throwing his way because he's taken away that side of the field. And so Trey Brown, Trey Brown played really well. And, and I thought Parnell Motley had some really nice plays and coverage as well, especially uh, against David Sills a couple of times when he was actually tasked with shadowing David Sills and playing some nice tight man coverage. He was a little physical. And we, I, I wish he would have done it more throughout the game. I, I almost wish they would have had Parnell Motley shadow them and go around the field because Oklahoma doesn't like to do that they keep their corners on the same spots same sides of the field as it would seem but yeah I, I'm with you I thought the cornerbacks played pretty well and uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that pass interference call against Norwood I think in the second quarter I never got a good look at that because randomly my cable box just shut off around that time and I didn't get a chance to see it live and then it didn't record and all the stuff I've seen online so far, it's kind of a cut-up version of the game, and so they don't show replay of it. Was that a good or a bad call? I thought it was a bad call. It was a bad call. Okay, I thought, so it was I, good I, coverage then by Yeah, it by was Norwood. good coverage, and I thought they were both fighting for the ball. Uh, Norwood did kind of have a little hold of, uh, of Sills' jersey, but Sills was also pushing off of Norwood's helmet as well. I thought they were just jostling for the ball. Uh, it was good coverage by Norwood. So, Lee, I'm, I, I really want you to go back and rewatch the game. Because, like, it's not, you're underselling actually how good the corners were. West Virginia didn't really get anything on the outside in this game. Like, nothing at all. Everything that they had, and it's, it's funny to say because they had over 500 yards passing, everything they had was on the safeties and linebackers. Everything. Everything was over the middle of the field. It was those crossing routes. It was isolating Buki on, on either Jennings or, or Sills. It was, uh, they got Barnes isolated a couple times. They isolated Caleb Kelly quite a bit over the middle of the field. The corners held up remarkably well. Anytime the corners were on Sills or Jennings, they really did not do much. So, um, okay. If 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 the corners can play like that the rest of the season, that's that's going to be a big deal. But at the same time, I'm just <laughs> how, how the linebackers are so atrocious in coverage. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a team as bad in, in zone coverage over the middle as Oklahoma is. My 
God, they're bad. And, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and, and West Virginia just kept going back to that over and over again. So, well, I don't know. A lot of the big explosive plays weren't even – I guess it was zone. I mean, a couple that come to mind, I think it was the touchdown that tied the game at 35 to Gary Jennings where he was in the slot. And that was just Oklahoma playing cover four. And I was tweeting about this as well. And the coach, again, to bring him up, I appreciate it. He said, yep, that was cover four. And the safety's job in that scenario is you kind of play flat-footed because you're responsible for the run and also the pass. And when you're playing flat-footed and all of a sudden a guy like Jennings just turns on the burners, uh, it's like Buki just had no chance. I mean, he got burned and and that there you go it's touchdown and then later in the game it seemed like I, th- I think they might have benched Buki late in the game because Delarin Turner Yell was seeing more snaps at safety because Robert Barnes was still in there and actually no I think Buki wasn't on this play because he was covering the slot and it was man on man and he just got beat deep again and and DTY didn't get over the top playing single high yeah and DTY long, with explosive touchdown talking about the yeah so that was um that was the one that, another, another that, one to Jennings. That the one that they the scored seventy five yard one. Yeah, that was the one on third and eighteen. What the one on? No, third that was uh, no, that was that was on man coverage. That was different. Now there's so many. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the one on third and eighteen where if if DTY was a little more experienced, that would that would have been an easy pick for a more experienced safety. Um, the one where uh, where he just took a terrible angle to the ball. That wasn't third and, and eighteen. That was that was third and ten, I believe. Was that third from and their 10? own? Okay, from their own. Yeah, that was third and ten on their own twenty five. Third and eighteen was the one where touchdown. the third and eighteen was the one where uh, they got Jennings isolated on Caleb Kelly. Yep, and that's where I, I was just perplexed that Caleb Kelly was on the field on third down and eighteen. I didn't quite understand that, and I think we found out after the game why he was on the field. And listening to Lincoln Riley talk, he talked about how the lack of secondary depth in that game showed up quite a bit. I think he said a little bit, but I think it showed quite a bit. I don't know if that means that they have – I guess Houghton is still hurt. He must be. He must not be able to go, so that's big. It's looking a lot more uh, a lot more um, substantive as, as the season goes on. And also maybe they're just uncomfortable with playing certain guys because of experience. I mean, DTY got in, but he's a true freshman. Broyles and Parker um, were hurt, didn't play. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, Jordan Parker. Yeah, okay. So I'm just – so that that certainly affected the safety position, and uh, that's probably why Caleb Kelly was on the field because clearly they trust Caleb Kelly. I mean, right now he's playing some good football. He's a good tackler. He's just not a very good guy in coverage. Let's listen to Ruffin McNeil praising Caleb Kelly, but he also acknowledges in this that uh, that third and 18 wasn't so great. But overall, Caleb Kelly played pretty well. Here's Ruffin McNeil. He's such a valuable, uh, just not just player on the field, but tremendous uh, confidence addition. He he provides a very common, calming uh, influence, fundamentally sound. And you're right, he did a great job on uh, doing all three, uh, sack, fumble, and score. So Caleb also did some coverage things. I think I left him out. Too, you know, one-on-one a little bit too much one time, but uh, he can handle it. So, Caleb's a warrior. He's a complete warrior. Well, at least Ruffin McNeil did acknowledge that that had to have been the third and 18 because, yeah, he was isolated on Gary Jennings and it was over from the snap. He could tell Will Greer knew where he was going with the ball. I'm not so sure, Coach McNeil, that he can handle it in coverage, <laughs> but I get what he's saying. I mean, Caleb Kelly is playing some pretty good football. It's just when he's, when he's asked to to make plays in space, his his lack of speed really shows up. And 
it's tough to make plays in space in general. And when you're not that fleet of foot and you got to tackle a, a wide receiver or running back in space and you don't have a lot of help, I mean, that's difficult for anybody, but that's kind of the limitations in this game. But he's a powerful player. He made one of the biggest plays in the game. He did give up a, a pass kind of towards the sideline where he was able to chase a guy down and make a tackle in the open field. That was huge. I know it was a first down. I just It was a random play in the game. And also, too, a, another random play in the game that I got to give a lot of praise to Caleb Kelly Grant. I can't remember the situation. It was second half. How many times had OU been burned in the game on Will Greer with a little RPO fake and then hit that tight end, just a quick hitter over the middle? Caleb Kelly, later in the game, realized that and finally saw it and was able to to move over and and get a PBU and break it up and that might have been one of the drives where Oklahoma was able to force West Virginia to go three and out I can't remember but I just wanted to point that out as well too is that Caleb Kelly did make a nice play in pass coverage recognizing something that West Virginia was doing all game long and finally somebody was in there to to stop it from happening so good on him for that yeah Lee when Caleb Kelly was not put in indefensible situations by his coaching staff on Friday night I thought he was really good maybe (laughs) potentially the best player on the defense um on on Friday night it's actually hard to say because there there really were a handful of guys who who played really well on the defense on Friday night um but the defensive line was very good the defensive line yeah, is, they is strong well. when, they, when they're when they got their four guys out there. Yeah, especially they play pretty well. Yeah, Gal, uh, Gallimore stood out to me while watching the game live. Rewatching it, I realized how good of a game Bledsoe had uh, defending the run. I thought he did a really good job. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think, Lee. I just it's so hard when when we see Caleb Kelly flash brilliance like this. It's hard for me not to think that the coaching staff has just completely bungled his development. Um, he's a pass rusher. I mean, that's that's what he should be doing. That's what he's always should have been doing. The the, the tackles for West Virginia really struggle with his length and his athleticism. And it, it would just I to me when I watch him, he's just he, he he should have always been kind of in that jack role with kind of where Oboe was. Because that's where he's good, showing his explosion and his length and his size and athleticism on the edge. He's not good in space and coverage. That's not what he should be doing. He should be rushing the passer, and I think as a 235-pound linebacker in the Big 12, I think he's big enough to do that, and he clearly is athletic enough. Um, I mean, that, well, that's, that West that, Virginia right tackle would say, yeah, he's probably big enough. Yeah, and just I just a straight pancake on that fumble I, return touchdown. I say that knowing full well that's not going to change this season. I think it's pretty obvious going forward. I think that they're um, that that base sort of four-three kind of three-three down hybrid look they've been showing with the three linebackers. Um, is it, it, going to be kind of their base defense going forward, it looks it looks like. Um, and I think actually that defense may not be the, the worst defense ever uh, to have against Texas, to be totally honest with you, but we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I, I don't know. Well, it's, I, I'm mostly just saying it because it looks like, hey, if Caleb Kelly does you know, have a senior season here with potentially a new defensive coaching staff, uh, maybe they would be able to unlock you know, or some potential in him or, or find a much better role for him where that would be much more tailored to his strengths. And that, that's why I bring that up. Okay, yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of I'm kind of over just going all in on the coaching staff. We've said all I need to say. It's, it is what it is right now. And when the Oklahoma defense gets two turnovers and two touchdowns, and like you said, I mean, you, you've said some really positive things. I thought Oklahoma's defense, weirdly enough, did play okay considering they allowed – more than 700 yards and they're just big plays I mean explosive plays and and really the problem was the safety play the safety play wasn't very good uh 
specifically Buki. He had if he hasn't had a welcome to college football moment yet. Friday night was it. I think he you could count I think three different times where he was basically burned one on one. And I saw a couple people on social media posting and you know, it's a good point and it's kind of dunking on you and me and others out there. It's like maybe this is why Buki was never even considered at cornerback this year because <laughs> playing man coverage, he he looked a touch slow a couple times and you know cornerbacks are normally asked to play a lot of man coverage one-on-one and he didn't look very good maybe it's you know all season long as a safety he's not been tasked with playing a lot of man coverage so he's a little little rusty that's got to be part of it but uh yeah he just didn't have a very good game hopefully he can bounce back against texas so uh, yeah the safety play left something to be desired yeah but i also but i i think we're also grading on a curve right now the defensive staff has not given us any sort of confidence to think that they could develop a good defensive back so i don't i mean i i, I don't know how to judge buki right now because i it is That's i'm fair. of the, i'm of the opinion that he has been constantly been he's constantly been put in really just awful positions all season long that are not tailored to his strengths and um they're I, I have a positive thing about Buki though. Sorry, I cut you off. Keep no, going. No, and I was going to say on top of that, they're just they're they're clearly just not taught correctly on a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, it is what it is. I, I'm kind of over it by now because yeah, I am too. You, I am too. I think I I I think what we saw on Friday night was I, I'm much more encouraged about the defense on Friday night than I have been all throughout November uh, because I thought. I thought they played well outside of a couple of uh, of just brain cramps they had on about ten plays. Um, where if there's, I mean, there's some third downs on, and, and some busted coverages, Lee, that that really can be cleaned up with just much more sound defense. And and they would have gotten West Virginia off the field on those plays. And I think if that happens, OU wins that game by you know maybe twenty points. So um, I, I I thought yeah. OU was was really good. I, I I thought OU was clearly the better team on Friday, um, and. You know, just just mm-hmm. go just go back and watch the game, and and I think you'll you'll have the exact same opinion. Well, the thing is, yeah, I for the first time all year, I was able to watch the game intently without anything else distracting me. So I, I mean, I have a pretty good feel for what happened. I mean, I I might not need to go back and and watch it play by play like I normally do, just because again, that's for the first time I was able to watch the whole thing through, and I was taking notes throughout the game as well as I was watching it. But uh, real quick, one positive thing I saw to about Buki, I'll give him credit. For the first time all season long, I, you know what I noticed? He was going low in tackling legs when he was going for tackles in that game. Did you notice that too? I think he made a couple tackles yeah. where he, he cut some people's legs out. Yeah, he wasn't he going a good high job. anymore. He did a good job. And also, Lee, just to, just because it seems like Buki is, is going to be the whipping boy in the defense of this game because he did get burned a lot of the time. But, Lee, I, 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 made, a, I, I made an effort to watch him closely on other plays which, in which he didn't get burned. And you know what? He he had really good coverage on some other plays, um, on very on very similar plays against Jennings, where he ran go routes and and he defended them well. So um, I don't know. I, I I think a lot of the stuff that happened in this game really was just busted coverages that I think can be cleaned up. That's stuff they can clean up. And you saw over the course of the game, they Turner Yell got more comfortable in the second half as the game went on. He didn't make the same mistakes over and over again. He dropped that pick. Um, and you know, on that drive late in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, and he was in perfect position on that play. So, and I don't think he would have been earlier in the game. So, you know, where this is, I'm, I'm encouraged. I, I think there, there's a lot of stuff that they're going to be able to point to on tape and say, Hey, you guys did a really good job here. In fact, we did a really good job on these other plays. There's just one thing that led to this, 
you know, to this busted coverage that we can clean up for Texas. Um, and of course, they have, you know, they have a much different challenge coming up too. I'm uh, L.J. Humphrey for my money. I think is 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 the receiver that I fear the most in the Big Twelve, um, and and that'll be a different challenge just just to tackle him, to be honest. But um, going forward, mm-hmm. Lee, I, I'm I, I'm pretty encouraged. I, I I think they can they can build off of this performance and, and come up with. I, I think an acceptable performance next week. I, I'm much more confident in that than I was at this time last week, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't feel the same way after this game as I felt after Oklahoma State, for example. I thought Oklahoma State, it was just perplexing the defensive game plan going in and watching Taylor Cornelius do what he did and basically Oklahoma allowing Taylor Cornelius to do what he did. Uh, this game, it's, you know, Will Greer's really good, and we knew that West Virginia would get theirs, and I like that it seemed like the secondary, you know, specifically the corners, they didn't give as much cushion in that game. I mean, they were actually playing a little tighter, playing confident, and it showed. I mean, they they kept they kept going out there and and playing good football. It's just again the the secondary. Uh, I'm sorry, the the safeties just didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And you know what? Hopefully, they can improve with some extra time to prepare for the Big Twelve title game. And I gotta say that this this podcast we haven't been as hard on the defense because again, I think we've all we've all kind of just been okay with the fact that you know what this is Oklahoma defense this is what we're going to get uh so you know what that no need to pull your hair out because this is kind of the way it is and we just hope that Oklahoma's offense can outscore people and that's what Oklahoma did sure and I don't possible though oh go ahead no I was going to say I mean don't get me wrong here the defense is still bad this is who they are I've just I I'm much more encouraged by their ability to maybe get a you know get a few stops now than I was. Grant, did you did you predict? Did you say five stops Oklahoma needed to win the game? Is that I, what you said last I, week? I think I said four was the actual. Because um, one of our listeners, I think, said that you said five and was giving you some praise on Facebook. So we'll, we'll, that's part of our three word reviews. Yeah, I said we'll four. Get to here in a moment. I think I said four or five. Um, I said six, and I would have been right on the money if if uh, Robert Barnes wouldn't have committed that pass interference penalty on fourth down, gotten him off the field. That would have been the sixth stop. Or if, uh, but hey, you know, or if, five stops, two of them are touchdowns. Go ahead. Oh or, yeah, or, or if DTY. DTY, just you know, yeah. How many? How many just easy picks have they dropped this year? Good lord, ton. And I, my theory of you know, once they started playing differently with Mike Stoops gone, maybe they'd start being more confident in making those plays. Well, that theory has been uh, shot to shreds. So I was totally wrong about that. Th- these guys still. Can't catch the ball for whatever reason. Uh, but, hey, they got a couple fumbles. That was great. But I was going to say, though, is it possible for the last month or so that we're just being too hard on the defense? Because the Big 12, we talk about all the time. The offenses are really good. And it's difficult to play good defense in the Big 12. And I know that we point to Texas and TCU last year being pretty good defenses. Is that The numbers are kind of inflated because of the Big 12. Iowa State last year and Iowa State this year good. But, Grant, I mean, look around college football – on Saturday, and Iowa State gave up what I think forty or nearly forty points to Kansas State. Uh, Clemson gave up six hundred yards to South Carolina, thirty-five points. The big one, obviously, Michigan's really good defense gave up sixty to Ohio State, and it's just are we, are we being too hard on defenses? Because maybe you know it just is really hard to play good defense against these offenses this year. I mean the the rules are all for the offense. You can't be as physical anymore, and I haven't been a whole—I haven't been one to really buy into that a whole lot. But you know what? Maybe I it, it, put it this way: this week of college football, the last week, go back to even the, the NFL game, a Monday Night Football, great game. 
I know it's NFL college, you know, a lot of points in that one. And there was some defense in that game, but there's still a lot of points. I'll, I'll say I'm kind of I've paused a little bit and like, you know what? I, maybe it just really is incredibly difficult to play good defense against these offenses. And if a team like Michigan was in the Big 12, I think the defense would be better than a lot of the Big 12 defenses because I think their defensive coordinator is pretty good. Don Brown and they probably they have good players, but the stats wouldn't be anywhere near what they are. And I mean, Michigan's defense was exploited. I mean, look at Clemson again, Clemson's defense against an SEC team. Uh, an okay South Carolina team with I guess an okay offense lit them up pretty good granted Clemson's offense lit up South Carolina's defense but you know how the ACC how bad's the ACC I mean nobody can move the ball in that Clemson defense in that conference and South Carolina did so anyways I, I know I'm rambling a bit but is it possible that we're just kind of being too hard on defenses right now it's possible but no Lee I, I even even the entire Big 12 had shut down Kansas going into that game last week, and OU still gave up over 500 yards and 40 points. OU's defense is really, really bad. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's simple, easy plays that they just don't make. And they, th- there's, there's simple, easy stuff that they bust. So, no, I mean, there's... I, I understand what you're saying in the sense that any one of these high-powered offenses can just kind of go off at any time without any sort of warning. And I think that's what we saw against uh, with Ohio State and Michigan for sure. Whereas Ohio State identified kind of the one very large weakness in Michigan's defense that no one else had been able to exploit. And man, Michigan just refused to adjust as that game went on. Just continued to stay in man coverage and continue to get just burnt uh, by by crossing routes and deep crossing routes. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I I see what you're saying, but no, I mean, I'm I, I'm not going to give the OU defense that much of a pass. They've been really awful this year. Um, I guess what I'm saying too is that let's say Oklahoma makes a really great hire, hopefully in the off season. I don't think we can anticipate whoever they hire to come in and just all of a sudden turn this into some sort of shut down elite type of defense because it might not exist in the Big 12. No, I, I agree, not. Lee, but this defense hasn't even challenged good offenses in the Big 12, hasn't, hasn't even attempted to challenge them. Michigan Michigan attempted to challenge Ohio State yesterday and just got burned. I, I, yeah. I can I, I can promise you that that wouldn't happen a majority of the time. That was that's just why a, I said, yeah, I mean, if they got more used to playing against those teams, they'd get better at it. It's just Michigan hadn't faced a team like Ohio State all season long, an offense like that, the closest they faced, maybe Indiana the week before, maybe Penn State, but Trace McSorley's having a bad season. He's completing 50-something percent of his passes, and that offense is is not anywhere near as good as it was last year with their offensive coordinator gone. What, what would happen, Lee, is if Michigan was in the Big 12, they would quickly realize that being in man coverage at all times would not fly, and they would probably adjust and, and throw in quite a bit of zone. The only reason why that didn't happen this year with them is because they have continually been able to get away with doing that in the Big Ten, just playing straight man across yep. the board. And they they generally are not able to play anybody who is able to beat that. Penn State was able to do that the last couple of years against them. Um, this year they weren't because their their offensive line is absolutely atrocious, and, and McSorley has had has had a really bad season. Um, but no, I mean okay. if 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 Lee if if Michigan tried to do that against OU, they they would you'd see the exact same thing that Ohio State did yesterday, maybe even worse. All right, good. That's a good discussion. I just wanted to bring that up because I, again, I just. I kind of took a took a moment and some pause to kind of rethink some things. You know, it, it's it's important to not be set in your ways and to always kind of consider other things because we're always evolving and learning. And anyways, that's 
kind of where I was at. Let's go to three-word reviews. Once again, a lot of them coming in on Twitter and on Facebook. Let's start on Twitter. Ryan on Twitter, defense not required. Actually, thanks, Ryan. You get the first one. I suppose we should give ours. Grant, uh, I tweeted mine out. I'll stay with it. Not that great, but uh, kind of what I was hoping would happen, what Oklahoma needed to do. My three-word review for the win over West Virginia, they outscored them. Simple enough. Grant, what about you? Just going to say just win, baby, because that's all I care about right now. And and you know what, Lee? It's hard to go in le- uh, 11 and 1. It, it really is. And OU is, is one of only a handful of teams this season that has done it. You know, this is just. Yeah, this is- I mean, and you could tell how excited Lincoln Riley was after the game. Did you see that nice picture of him coming off the field where he was looking at the OU fans there with his arms raised up and screaming and. He looks so excited. I don't know if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I saw it. I'll try it's to good, find a, yeah, it's a good I mean, picture. It's just he's, he's, he'll, he'll tell you, man. He says it's really hard to win these football games. And you know, and you know what, Lee? Oh, he's this right. Is, this is how OU wins. Just accept it and just try to have fun with it. This is how they win. And if we're being honest with ourselves, they do it. They win like this better than anyone in the country. I think that's clear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, this is 20 straight. True road wins, 20. Yeah. And this is now, this, this is four consecutive games where they've given up 40-plus points, and they've won all of them. That's, you know, that that's a trend at this point. They're they're just comfortable winning like that. I, I don't, so. I mean, they'd rather not, but. Yeah, obviously, I'd rather not, but it. you know what? There's, I, I can assure you, going in, in, in a hypothetical game against Alabama, if Alabama got up 14 to nothing, I don't think this OU team would panic. I think they'd be able to score with them, so. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I promise you, I think Notre Dame would panic. I think Ohio <laughs> State would probably panic. So, All right, back to the three-word reviews. We did Ryan's. Caden McFarland in Tulsa. He always jumps in on these three-word reviews. I love it from KJRH in Tulsa. So watch Caden. And also watch Channel 6 in Tulsa because that's News 9's sister station. Got to plug them as well. Caden's three-word review, scoops and score. And I almost tweeted back at Caden to say, hey, did you mean to put an S at the end of score to make it scoops and scores? But we'll leave it at that just because there was multiple scoops and scores. Steve McGeehy, my coworker at News 9, our Thunder reporter, his three-word review, title game invitation. My friend Brady, where's the defense? All right. Our cousin James Grant chiming in on three-word reviews. Lots of points. Jeremy, his three-word review is pretty pretty good, pretty funny. Defense saves Sooners. <laughs> pretty good. Got to give credit to Warren on Twitter. He sent us a picture from Morgantown. So Warren was at the game. And I don't know if this is really his – you know, we'll go with it. This is his three-word review. He goes, better in person. All right. Josh, his three-word review, Kelly in coverage. <laughs> Obviously commenting on that third and 18 near touchdown pass where Caleb Kelly was one-on-one against Gary Jennings Jr. Uh, Dylan, his three-word review, another question. His is Buki to cornerback? (laughs) Uh, Dylan also adds just some context. He says, clearly played out of position last several weeks, was exposed today. Keep DeLaren, Turner, Yell, and Barnes. Put Buki in quarterback rotation if possible. Dylan, I don't think we're going to see that happen. I think we're, we're kind of, again, the defense is what it is. More three-word reviews. Sam's review is country road win. I like that one. 
Another one playing off the touchdowns. Billy, similar to Caden, scoop and score. Gary, Hollywood goes wild. Man, it's good to have Hollywood Brown back. I mean, he's been playing, but I mean, a game like that was fun to watch. David's three-word review is similar to Grant's. Win and advance. Uh, <laughs> Gonzo Strangelove, who's had, he's had some good stuff on Twitter I, on Friday night, so good on him. He has a pretty good one. Wait, we won? All right. Uh, Michael, better than Honeymoons. I don't know if I get that one. He tagged you in this one as well, Grant. Do you know what he's trying to say? No, nah, I don't really understand that one. That one flew over our head, Michael. Jared, same one as you, Grant. Just win, baby. Back to Warren. He says, Kyler for Heisman. I believe you used that last week, huh, Grant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two more from Twitter. Actually, we have one more because Nathan broke the rules. Nathan, you have four words here. Actually, no, you, you only did two. You only needed two. So my, my apologies. But Tom goes with two huge turnovers. And Nathan just says he only needs two words. And his two words are scoop score. So those are from Twitter. Nice job, everybody. Well, we got to pull up the Facebook ones now. A lot of three-word reviews. I love this. Um, let's see here. Any thoughts on any of those, Grant, while I try to buy time to get to the three-word reviews on Facebook? Yeah, I don't know. I want to go back to what the guy said about Hollywood because it just made me think about this, Lee. Um, and this is, this is something that I actually care way too much about, and it's totally meaningless. But the, uh, the stat milestone that OU might have as a team, I really want them to achieve. I would love for them to have the uh, Kyler Murray as a 4,000-yard passer. I'd love them to have three 1,000-yard rushers and then two 1,000-yard receivers. And that is completely within grasp. They can do it. It's possible. Whew. How cool would that be? Pretty great. I wonder if that would win him a Heisman, yeah, even so, though I know that's like a more individual team thing. Yep. So they already, I think they only, uh, Kyler, the, these last two games, I, I think he only needs something like 500 some odd yards passing to get to 4,000. Um, Marquise is already over 1,000 yards uh, receiving. Kennedy Brooks, I think, is like six yards away from 1,000. Sermon's like 120 yards away from 1,000. And uh, Kyler is, is pretty similarly close to 1,000 as well. And then I think nice. I think CD is only about a hundred yards away from a thousand, so how, that would be. I think so that stay tuned for that. That'd be cool, would it not be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I you know I'm not much of a stats guy. I mean, only whenever stats help me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I know that'd be cool. I found the three word reviews on Facebook. So great job by you, filling time there. Trey has three three word reviews, and I think they're all decent. You know, I'm sorry, Trey. I think they're actually all pretty good, especially this first one. Time for revenge. And Trey's picture on Facebook has an upside-down horn, so he's looking forward to this Texas game. His next one is next stop, Arlington. And then finally, Trey goes with defense does enough. Caleb goes with two defensive scores? <laughs> Good one by Doug here. Need heart medication. <laughs> My coworker Ryan, friend of the pod, goes with Greer miscues costly. Interesting. True. Wes, a popular one this week. Kyler for Heisman. Chase goes with a uh, a three word review in parentheses, which he also puts at the end. Just kidding. Hire Mike Stoops. Again, he's just kidding about that. 
Uh, Amy with a three-word review, two defensive touchdowns. Philip has the same three-word review as Trey, time for revenge. So you guys are on the same page there. I liked it. And then this is where Philip actually is giving you credit. So maybe you did change it, but Philip's three-word review is Grant nailed it. And what he means by that is the five defensive stops was enough. So maybe you did say five and you just forgot last week, Grant. Yeah, I think I might have changed it. I think I originally said four and then. Yeah. A couple more. Michael. Let's win this. I like it. Sydney playing off of the rematch against Texas goes with debt collection time. <laughs> Devin, simply, I like it. And uh, TJ, uh, I didn't ask you all to be clean this time. I probably should have. I can't read yours on the air. I mean, I guess I could because it's free country and I can do whatever I want. It's my podcast, our podcast, but we try to make this like a family podcast, so I can't read it. But uh, let's just say TJ doesn't like West Virginia. Great job, everybody. Interesting, creative, love the three-word reviews. Real quick, Grant, OU plays Texas next. We touched on it briefly. I did have some Lincoln-Riley sound. We are going a little long. I'm not going to play it. I'm sure he'll be asked about it again, obviously, on Monday during his presser. I will say, though, Grant, I did randomly go back on Saturday and watch a little bit of the OU-Texas game back already. And a couple of things that stood out to me that is interesting that can be useful going into this game uh kennedy brooks wasn't much of a part of that game i think he only had three carries and i can't remember really at that time that was before really he was solidified as where he is now obviously uh, marcellius sutton was healthy in that game he had a lot of carries him and trey sermon almost split carries but oklahoma with the running backs didn't run the ball that well in that game it was mainly kyler murray and of course the big run so that's interesting that kennedy brooks is more of a featured runner in this offense and so that's a change on offense and then on defense some, one thing I noticed obviously with with Mike Stoops still there for that game I was wrong about something I got to bring up real quick I was thinking that after Mike Stoops left that's when Oklahoma then after that bye week kind of brought in that third down dime package that you know where there's the blitz through the middle and you know what I noticed in that the first half is that Oklahoma had been running a dime package and not only on third down. So it's not like that was the first time. And so I, I was wrong about that. And that Mike Stoops had that in as well. And I can't remember if there was any Curtis Bolton blitzing through the a gap. I, I didn't get that far enough in the game. Maybe he did it later. So, you know what? I, I got to give credit to Mike Stoops there. I, I was wrong at that. That was in the defensive playbook before and I missed it. So my bad on that. But the big thing that I want to bring up, though, that I noticed defensively that's going to be changed this time, you would think, is that in that game against Texas, Oklahoma was still running a lot of their th <clears throat> excuse me, their three-down linemen where it was Bledsoe, Gallimore, Kenneth Mann, and then they'd use Mark Jackson as kind of that jack linebacker. And sometimes they'd have Mark Jackson put his hand in the ground and set up like a four-down front, but Mark Jackson's not a defensive end. And then they'd have him you know, playing a bit and – and so Mark Jackson hasn't played a whole lot lately. I think he was available for this game against West Virginia, but I don't remember him getting any snaps. And now going against Texas Grant, we're going to probably see more four-down linemen with Ronnie Perkins on the field, Kenneth Mann, and then Bledsoe and, and uh, Gallimore there as the four-down front, and then probably some Caleb Kelly. So that's interesting to me, is that we're going to see a different defensive front probably for most of the game against Texas. So we'll see how that, how that shakes out. Um, I did notice that also the corners early on in that Texas game were – playing aggressively kind of challenging the Texas receivers with tight coverage not a whole lot of cushion and there was a pass interference call against Parnell Motley on Texas's first drive in the end zone which yeah it was a it was a go either way call if you go back and watch it I mean 
it looked like pretty good coverage, but then randomly at the end of the the route, Motley needlessly kind of shoved. I think it was little Jordan Humphrey. They threw the flag on that. I thought it was pretty good coverage until that. It could have gone either way. But after that drive, when I watched, it seemed like then they backed off the corners and they weren't playing as aggressively. And so, anyways, a lot more rewatching needs to happen this this upcoming week. But uh, just a couple of of thoughts of a quick first half rewatch of that OU Texas game, Grant. I, I guess you probably haven't watched it back yet. No, but, and I'm uh, not. I'm not going to rewatch yeah. that game. Insane. No. <laughs> um, the but off the top of my head, the the obvious key in that game, I think, is is limiting Texas's running game on first and second down and also limiting Sam Ellinger in the run game, I think is the obvious uh, the obvious key to the game. If OU can have some success on those early downs, uh, keep Texas out of like third and short, they're, they're going to have a lot more success in this game because if you remember from the first one, Ellinger on just the student body right, they, they couldn't stop because Mark Jackson really struggled to keep contain um, on the mm-hmm. edge. And theoretically, that won't be an issue uh, in this game. So they've... I feel like they've they've they have defended the run probably a little bit better since they uh, they made changes in that regard. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. if if anyone thinks OU is going to come out and 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 run Texas off the field, I don't know what you're smoking. Uh, this is going to be a close game. This is this is who OU is. It's it's going to be a high scoring close game. There's really nothing anyone can say that's going to convince me otherwise. Before we get going here, we have a couple listener comments and questions and stuff from Facebook that I had picked out. Uh, Shane wants to know what percentage of third and eight or longer is Oklahoma's defense giving up first downs? Seems like an astronomically high amount. Unfortunately, Shane, I I didn't go back through every single game this year to look at this because it would have taken some time, and um, I just didn't want to do that because honestly, I didn't feel like doing it. Uh, it would take a lot of time, but I did go to the last game against West Virginia. <laughs> Uh, five different times, Shane, five times Oklahoma allowed a first down conversion when it was third down and nine and longer. And let me look at my notes. Two of those five times were touchdowns, long touchdowns. So, yeah, I mean, giving up five third and nine plus, including one of those was third and 18. I think West Virginia was 12 of 18 total on third down. And then they also converted a couple of fourth downs also was stopped in the red zone, too. And also, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Also, it definitely needs to be brought up. The reason why teams are having so much success on third down is because of how awful OU's linebackers are in coverage. I, that's that. I am. I am convinced of that now. Kenneth Murray. Well, is, in that game though, there there wasn't as much. There wasn't as much uh, drop eight though. I mean, zone. It was a lot of man. Yeah, yeah. I know. Just got burned. Yep. And on on cross on crossing routes, uh, they West Virginia ran a lot of crossing routes yeah. on Friday night. Um, Kenneth Murray might be the worst linebacker in coverage in the Big 12. And I'm I'm dead serious about that. He, he a guy who is who who spends a lot of time in the film room, that's where he needs to improve in the offseason the most. He is dreadful. He has absolutely no feel for where anyone is going to be at all. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that. He's struggled mightily in that. Um, it makes you think, I mean, I know he's he's done it and not makes you think we talked about it before I mean we were all pretty convinced or some of you were convinced he was going to get moved to a different linebacker spot in the offseason I didn't think he'd get moved just because he had you know a full year under his belt at middle linebacker I mean he just might be out of position I think that's fully on the first two years out of position I think that's (laughs) fully on the table this upcoming year with the new staff coming in for sure like I I wouldn't and this is all speculation but like don't be surprised next year if you're if you're two starting linebackers are like Deshaun White and Kenneth Murray and they're they, they flip their positions that wouldn't surprise me at all 
Yeah, who knows? Who knows? The last thing, question-wise, and this could also branch into more of a full college football discussion now because of what happened, Michigan losing to Ohio State. Phillip wants to know, and I think he asked this question before the Michigan-Ohio State game, but it, it works. He says, sometimes Heather Dinich on ESPN is insightful, but sometimes she seems way off to me. She claims that if Ohio State beats Michigan, which we saw happen, then it would be a close call between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Philip asks, is it my homerism that tells me it would be a no-brainer for Oklahoma, or is there a discussion where Ohio State comes out on top to get that fourth spot? And I, you know, obviously Philip is assuming that both teams go on and win their respective conference championship games. There'll be a discussion, absolutely, just because of, I think, uh, Ohio State's impressive win over Michigan. I mean, they put up 60 points on that Michigan team. I know it was at the shoe. They're at home, but still it's impressive. It's a top, it went over a top-four team. Uh, Oklahoma's win was very nice as well. It, it helps that Oklahoma got that win on the road at West Virginia. That was nice. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that Oklahoma would have a better shot than Ohio State in that scenario if – if both win their title games, I know Oklahoma would have a better win, you could say, than, than uh, Ohio State would get over a Northwestern team that, I mean, beat Illinois by a touchdown. I mean, at in Evanston. And yeah, Northwestern's, so, Northwestern's not a particularly impressive team. I'm, man. Um, yeah, so my... So what do you think about that? My official position on all of this is we need to... Uh, one, we need to wait to see what the rankings uh, say on Tuesday, I think is going to be number one before we make any sort of hot takes about it. Um, because I think that's going to tell us right away. If OU is ahead of Ohio State, they are in a win and you're in proposition. Um, unless, unless it's just unless OU or unless Ohio State wins by like 60 and OU is just incredibly unimpressive. But um, we'll see. I don't know. Um, to answer Phillips' question, is it just your homerism that says OU is a no-brainer? Uh, to answer your question, yes, it is your homerism there. I, I think there is. Uh, if uh, there is a legitimate debate between these two teams, in, in my opinion, um, obviously you guys are going to know where I come down on this. I, I, I favor OU, but at the same time, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on these conversations because Oklahoma still has a game left. They need to win against a team that has already beaten them this year. And, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't necessarily in a fluky matter either. I mean, Texas did really whatever the hell they wanted on offense in that game. And we haven't seen anything from OU's defense yet to suggest that Texas is not going to be able to do the same thing. So let's, let's pump the brakes. Let's beat Texas first. Um, if, if, if that's the case, OU is going, is going to have a good shot. They're going to have a good argument over Ohio State. All right, so you know I've brought up this 538 playoff predictor thing. So I'm looking at it right now. And before it was, if everybody wins out, then Oklahoma, I think, had a slight advantage over Ohio State. And this is so weird. I literally, I just clicked win out for our, uh, win out for Clemson, win out for Alabama, win out for Ohio State, win out for Oklahoma. And legitimately, one minute ago, it said Ohio State had a better percentage than Oklahoma to make the playoff by like ten percent. Like it was something like fifty-nine to forty-nine in favor of Ohio State. I unchecked all the boxes and then checked all the same boxes again. And now you know what it's saying? <laughs> it's saying that both Ohio State and Oklahoma each would have a 69% chance of making the playoffs. Nice. So what? I, they don't, I don't have know why it, they, it's not in, in this scenario. If, if both teams were to win next week, the committee has never been presented with this scenario. 
before. Two teams yeah. with incredibly similar resumes. Um, analytics are going to be very, very similar as well. Um, as of as of this week, as of right now, analytics do slightly favor Oklahoma in this, uh, mostly just because I, I think a lot of people. Um, look at especially a lot of people in the media who maybe aren't as familiar with Oklahoma and Ohio State like specifically they treat Oklahoma and Ohio State's offenses as like as as similar um Oklahoma's offense is significantly better than Ohio State's offense which I think is 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 going to potentially be um one of the deciding factors and I think the committee actually knows that and they've actually acknowledged that by by how uh, by how much higher they've had Oklahoma than Ohio State these last handful of weeks. So, um, where I mean, we got to bring up that, I mean, you're 100% right. Ohio State's offense, yeah, they put up, what, 50 on Maryland, but it's it's been not good for the last month. I mean, it's been very inconsistent. They haven't been able to run the football, and they went out and just dominated Michigan. And so it just makes you wonder, man, what? Gosh, if with only a week to prepare for Oklahoma's offense, like I think the same thing would have happened to Michigan if Oklahoma wanted to put sixty on them. If so, if, if Michigan yeah. came out and was just trying to play man coverage across the board, it, it would have been the exact same thing. Oh, you would have would have gone up and down the field on them. They would have had no chance. I mean, because then you're throwing in the you know Michigan's probably going to be spying Kyler Murray. You know who are they spying him with, and, and I'm Kyler sorry, Murray going to say, yeah, forget it. I'm still going to run by you. And hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that a lot of people probably wouldn't have, but Michigan's defense is slow. They they are slow on the edge. West Virginia has more speed on defense than Michigan does, and I know that's that's a crazy thing. They definitely do at linebacker. Um, so I'm. Or did Ohio State just make them look slow? You know, that's the weird thing. Who knows? No, Ohio o- State's got a lot of really good players. O- Ohio State has an offense that is that is specifically tailored to destroy man coverage because they have they have small, speedy receivers. Um, and mm-hmm. they, I mean, they did. That's what happened yesterday. They ki- they just they killed Michigan on crossing routes, just on crossing routes. And Michigan just they they couldn't adjust. They 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 didn't know what to do, and they. I mean, it was it really was kind of that was the game that I think a lot of spread proponents or uh, people who are who are really huge advocates of the spread and the air raid are going to point to. Um, that's the type of game that I think a lot of us have been have been saying would happen for for like damn near a decade now. Whereas, hey, it's this it's this it's this defense that's gone up against a bunch of crappy offenses that haven't had the personnel to take advantage of where their weaknesses are. And Ohio State just uh, you know uniquely had that ability. And that's what happened. Michigan just could not stop them. They did not have the horses to stop them. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, and yeah, Ohio State offense again that hasn't has not been firing all cylinders really since. I don't even know. I mean, it. I, and then let's. So who knows? Sure. And and then and you know what? And Lee, that was a game too where Michigan's uh, Michigan's offense really wasn't wasn't awful in that game. They did kind of what they've done all season long. They couldn't keep up though. And so this is. This is kind of what we're yep. talking about. This I, that they also were given a gift touchdown basically at the end of the first half. That, that is, was crazy. That too. <laughs> that too. So yeah, Michigan just could not keep up, and, and this is uh, that's kind of how I envision what, what's going to happen to Notre Dame as well in a playoff scenario. Maybe not to that extent, um, but I, Notre Dame's not going to be able to keep up against Alabama and Clemson, who, whoever they play in, in that scenario. So they're just they're just not explosive enough on offense. And neither is is Michigan, and, and you saw that. So I, I I hope I hope kind of the thinking in college football starts to change. I, I hope it, it turns more into a, um, a 
an environment where the committee favors offense, the explosive offenses over the the defenses, because I, I think you, you saw just the stark contrast there. Michigan is significantly better than Ohio State uh, this season on defense, and it did not matter a lick. So before we get going, just this is going to be a conversation, you know, coming up this week, and it has already kind of been a little bit, but Alabama, Georgia, SEC title game. If Georgia wins this game, which I think Georgia's got a shot. I mean, Georgia's really good. I mean, Georgia's a really good team again. And I mean, Alabama's also obviously very good. But I mean, if Georgia wins this game, obviously Georgia's going to make the playoff. I mean, going in 12 and one conference champ. Does Alabama is Alabama already in? Yes, they are. The yes. Even with the scenario if Ohio State and Oklahoma also each win and you have Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State as conference champs at twelve and one, and you have twelve and one Bama as a non conference champ. And also I guess you got to throw Clemson in there too, because Clemson would be in. You still think Alabama's in without have a having a conference championship and they leave out two teams that have conference championships? And uh, the same record? I think they would. I don't, I, I don't think they should. I don't think they should get in in that scenario. But also, I, I don't. The the committee hasn't. They haven't created a clear guideline of what they're uh, what they're specifically looking for. Some years, I feel like they've, especially last year, they they definitely value just the better team or better record. Last year with Alabama, um, but I don't know. Lee, I mean, Alabama is the first team in college football history that has literally won all of their games by three plus touchdowns. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, don't, that's, that's hard. And Alabama is absolutely one of the four best teams in the country. So what's, what's, what's their criteria? Is it the most deserving? Is it the best? If it's the best, Alabama should already be in, in my opinion. But I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion. I think you should have to win your conference championship to get in, but that's not one of the absolute criteria that they go off of. I know it's part of it, but it's not the be all end all. And so, you know, I, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I think it'd be I, unprecedented if if that situation arises because last year it was easy for them because Ohio State was a two loss Big Ten champion, not just a, a one loss Big Ten champion. Yeah, I think if Ohio State would only had one loss, I think they'd have gotten in over Ohio State, um, over Alabama last year probably. Oh, I agree, agreed, agreed. I think that's that's clear. That was what uh, that was the reason Alabama ultimately got in last year, just because they had the one next to their record and not the two. mm Hmm. And you'd mentioned that you think uh, you should win the conference championship to be eligible for the playoff. Well, then that means Notre Dame is out. They didn't win any conference championship. Yeah, I mean, there's a there there need, there can be a no, caveat there. They're twelve and zero. I mean, they're man um, twelve and zero with a with a not that impressive win over USC in a game where you, you'd think Notre Dame would come out and just roll oh, over man. USC. I just saw knowing it. that. Go, what I just saw a tweet. U- don't, USC, don't spoil any. Okay, I was gonna say, don't spoil any NFL because US, that on DVR. USC athletic director Len Swan said Clade Helton will remain the Trojans' head football coach. That's not surprising. Yeah, I, I mean, De- depending on who you've listened to, or you, you, I listen to, I like to listen to Clay Travis's morning show, and he has a guy on who does Fox College games, Petros Papadakis, who's I like him. I think he's really one of the best guests he has on. And he's a L.A. guy. He went to USC. And he's been saying all season long about how he thinks Helton will stick around because of things that we don't think about a lot with USC. Apparently, that school is just in so much turmoil right now with the administration. There's so many crazy things going on behind the scenes that it would be difficult to get a coach in right now because don't, they don't know what the future holds for anybody. And so 
he's always thought along that, yeah, I don't even though they're bad, I don't see a change being made because who could you get right now because of how bad USC is with the administration, which I didn't know that until I listened to it and hearing him say that he'll be retained. I, I, I I'm not surprised. Yeah, I don't know. And that's, and that, that's why. Hey, that actually, at least that sort of keeps my uh, my prediction alive at the beginning of the season. I said that Clay Helton ha- definitely has the look of him as uh, uh, of back-to-back seven and five seasons and then fired. Of course, I, I, I sort of, I gave him a little too much credit at seven and five. They finished up uh, five and seven this year, but I well, don't know. Well, kudos to them. They treated that game against Notre Dame as their bowl game, and... I mean, they jumped out to a 10 nothing lead. And, and really, I mean, that game was, was – yeah. they, they really could have won that game. A couple of turnovers in, in the first half oh, that's from really USC. Oh, really bad turnovers. Uh, that like was – In plus territory. That was really – that was the difference in the game. All right, that is it for us today. We will be back this upcoming week for a Big 12 championship OU Texas preview. It's never happened before. This will be uh, be fun, Hopefully. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.